And so we're going to talk today about the question, am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? And if you are, in what way are you? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians six twelve. There are three things in this passage that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Let's pull them out now. All things are lawful. Catch what he's saying now. But not all things are beneficial that are lawful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Many things are permissible for me, but watch this. I'm not going to involve myself in anything that gets the mastery over me. Nothing's going to bind me but Jesus himself. So notice what's in this passage. Is it best? Does it edify? And does it bind me? Is it best? Does it bring edification? And does it bind? Now today I want to deal with the second one. Does it build others up? Does it edify? Father, we just thank you for your word today. And we pray that you'll open our understanding and help us to rise to the level of living to the glory of God. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Can you say with me, God is good. You can be seated. Thank you so much. And let me get right to this. And you'll notice in your bulletin that we're going to be at Pastor Charles Martin's church tonight. And all of you are welcome to come. There's a map in the bulletin on how to get there. And it's, it's so much fun to preach there. Those, those sisters shout you down. Well, come on. It's the only church I go to where they go, come on, baby. Come on, hon. And uh, so it's a... Uh, so you come and shout me down in case they don't, and we'll have a good time tonight, and you're all welcome. I talked to uh, Pastor Charles this morning, and he said, well, we're looking forward to having you, and it's going to be exciting. The young people are going to be ministering, uh, and that's going to be great too. Charles was here when they, when they performed, and he said, man, that's got to be in my church. So the young people are going to be there, so we're going to have a great time. All right, now... <clears throat> In the last couple of weeks, we've seen that the call of every Christian is to glorify God. Now, I'm called to preach, but preaching is not my highest calling. Uh, to glorify God is my highest calling. I'm called to be a pastor. That's not my highest calling. To give God the glory is my highest calling. You may be a business executive, a plumber, carpenter. doesn't matter what you do, where you're from, how much money you make, what color your skin is. It doesn't matter. If you're a believer, you're called to glorify God. Now listen to the Bible. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In another place, Paul was praying for the church, and he said, quote, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Now watch, because of the way you live, not just what you say, but by the way you live, the Lord will be glorified. I want you to remember the hills have eyes. Somebody's always watching you. See, as soon as word leaked out that you were a believer, people started watching you. And they want to see if you walk your talk, if your talk is backed up by a genuine life change, where you're not having to smoke something, drink something, snort something, shoot something to give you joy and give you happiness, but it's coming from another source. They want to know if you've been really set free. 
They want to know if you've really gotten peace from your so-called profession of faith. They want to know what difference it's made. So they'll skim right past the talk, and they'll study your walk. So we're talking today about, am I my brother's keeper? Does it matter how I walk? Does it really matter? And we've seen that if we're going to live for the glory of God, let's talk about it again real quickly, it's going to fall into one of three categories. If I'm going to glorify God, it's going to fall in one of three categories. It'll be best, it'll build others up, and it will not bind me. It will not bring me into bondage. It'll be best, it'll build others up, it'll edify, it will not bind. Now let's look at the second one today, it'll build others up. Now I want you to listen to what the Scriptures say. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now that's not just talking about cuss words. The word corrupt comes from a Greek word that means rotten. I don't want any rotten, rotten egg, I don't, no rotten egg talking coming out of your mouth. That covers the whole gamut. That covers gossip. That covers slander. That covers uh, uh, off-color jokes. That covers a lot of things. But look what he said. Here's, here's the boundary. It says, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to those who are listening to what you're saying. Now, I didn't know this until I was getting ready for this message. I should have known this a long time ago. But the word edify comes from a Greek word that is an architectural word. Uh, And it actually means to build a building. Edify means to build a building. It's an architectural term. So what he's telling us is what you say ought to be used to help build the kingdom of God in others. What you say ought not tear somebody's building down. It ought to help build somebody's building up. It ought to help establish. In other words, you and I are co-laborers with God to build the building of the kingdom of God in the lives of others. And so if if we're going to be scriptural and biblical, then what we say and what we do and the way we live ought to play a part in architecturally constructing the kingdom of God in other people. So when they hear you, they're built up. Another brick is laid on the building of God in their life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can tear somebody's life completely down, or you can build somebody's life up by what you say. Now, watch this. If I'm going to live to the glory of God, I will live my life in a way that it builds others up. It edifies. Now, in light of that, I want you to listen to what Paul says here. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, you ought to read that whole chapter. It's a great chapter. But 32 and 33, listen to what he says. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. Now, he's not talking about being a man pleaser in that he doesn't talk about Jesus, doesn't minister the word. He's saying, in everything I do, I try to build others up and not tear them down. Now, look at what he says. This is totally contrary to our culture. He says, for I am not seeking my own good. It's not about me. My Godhead is not me, myself, and I. 
See, the Christian's Godhead is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But that world out there, their Godhead is, it's all about me. Me, myself, and I. But look what Paul says. He says, you're not to live selfishly. He said, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved, preserved, built up, established, edified, exhorted, comforted in the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a principle here. Catch it. If something we're doing needlessly offends either Jews or Gentiles, or if it needlessly offends members of the church, then don't do it. Now, notice, he's taking us a level above what is permissible, what I can get by with, what is legal. He's taking us above just kind of getting by to get by, living Christianity on the edge, getting as close to the fire as we can get without getting burned, getting as close to the water as we can get without diving all the way in and getting in trouble with God or going to hell. Not just living mediocre, half-soaked, plain vanilla Christianity, but he's talking about living a step above. And the step above is when you live to the glory of God. We are to glorify God. Is it best? Does it edify? Does it bind? In this context, we are our brother's keepers. If your actions hinder the cause of Christ and his kingdom... If the way you're living, what you're saying, then you choose the glory of God and you don't do it. Can I tell you, this makes the difference between immature Christians and mature. Immature Christians want to know what they can get away with and still not get in trouble with God. But mature Christians say, you know what, I'm going to live above that. I'm going to live a step above that. And I'm going to live to the glory. I want his glory shining off my face. I want when people look at my life, I want them to say, They remind me of someone. They're a chip off the old block. They remind me of that one I've read about. They remind me. Isn't it funny how the world knows what Jesus really looks like when they see it? If your actions hinder the cause of Christ and his kingdom, then you learn to choose the glory of God and just simply not do it. Now here again, we're dealing with the issue of Christian liberty, what I can get by with, versus the glory of God, what I can rise to. Now listen to what Paul said again. This is out of the Amplified Bible. I just had to read it. Great stuff. Listen, he says, quote, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Many things are permissible and legal for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient or profitable for my spiritual life. Many things are legal, but I won't become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. Not any drug, not any drink, not any anything. I will not be brought under the power of anything but my Lord and the Holy Ghost. That's next week. Don't miss next week. We're going to have some people getting set free next week. Now, sometimes we've got to make a decision between what we can get by with legally or scripturally. And what is actually best? What is best? What edifies others and what doesn't bind us up? 
So the Word of God has given us a divine sifter. Like you've got in the kitchen, you run something through it and you sift. Or like a, like a guy mining for gold would sift and the gold would stay in that sifter and the water would go through. we got a sifter. He's given us a sifter in His Word. And the sifter is, is it what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, where I'm about to go? Is it to the glory of God? Sift, sift, sift. Is it to the glory of God? Now, Paul was real familiar with this conflict between what's good and what's best, between Christian liberty and the glory of God, and here's why. In his day, idolatry was rampant. Idolatry had so permeated the culture that people would not eat food unless it had been dedicated to an idol. That's how much idolatry permeated the culture. It was a carryover from the Old Testament. They would make idols out of wood and stone and silver and gold. They would make these idols, and then they would worship these idols. And if you read the Old Testament, God was dead set against this. His wrath was poured out because of this, because demon spirits would inhabit these idols, and people would come under bondage to them. So this Old Testament practice came over into the New Testament, and they would actually, just picture that I'm holding here a, a, a Buddha. And if I was back in those days, we're about to eat dinner, and I just basically said, Buddha, we just dedicate this meal to you. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Of course, he can't talk, he can't hear, he can't move, he's a dead idol. But they had been taught that there was something behind the idols. And so they would dedicate their food, like we pray over food, they would dedicate their food to an idol. And so... What was happening in Paul's day was Christians, people who had been saved, washed in the blood, were getting invited to feasts and to parties where the food they served was being offered to idols. So here you go to a party, you sit down at a table, and you've been invited, and you're a believer now, and, and God's been dealing in your life, and you're born again, and all of a sudden you see the, the master of the house or the person, the, the host, uh, uh, dedicating the food to an idol. Now here was the problem. Some of them had reached a level of maturity, some of the Christians, where they knew the idol was not real, and they could eat the food without a conscience problem. I know that idol's dead. I know there's nothing to that thing. I know that it's not real. Can't answer prayer. Can't hear me. It's not real. I've been delivered from idolatry. So I don't care if they dedicate it to an idol. It's, it's, a, it's a good steak as far as I'm concerned. And they could eat it. But here's the problem. Others were still struggling with their past. Some of those other Christians still struggling with their past in idolatry. And food offered to idols was becoming for them a stumbling block. They were having a conscience problem. I'm here with Brother Joe and Sister Sue, and we're sitting down at this meal, and, and, and I, I don't know about them, but I'm having a conscience problem with this. It's, it's messing with me. I'm feeling guilty because to me, this idol, there's still something real to it in my mind. And here I am eating something offered to this God that is not God. So they, they, they contacted Paul. And they said, Paul, what, what are you saying about this idol issue? Now watch closely. Paul addresses the problem in 1 Corinthians 8, and here's what he says. So what about uh, eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we know that an idol is not really a God, and there is only one God. We know that. We know it's not really a God. However... 
he says. Not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods. And their weak conscience is violated. Now catch that, church. Here's what he's saying. There are things you may may be able to do in your Christian liberty that a younger Christian can't do. Do you catch that now? See, God's brought you along a ways, and so there's some things that you could do that would not violate your conscience because you have grown up some, you've had some revelation, but a younger Christian can't do it without violating his or her conscience. Now, here's where the weaker brother principle comes in. Are you your brother's keeper? Should you say to them at the meal, to the weaker Christian, the younger Christian, should you say to them, hey man, get over it. The idols aren't real. Grow up. Have a steak. That idol's dead. And eat in front of them what has been offered to an idol. No. Because God has to bring them along spiritually just like he did you. And until he does... Don't make your brother or sister stumble, but live to the glory of God. I'm telling you something here today, church. This is good stuff. We need to hear this. So what, what's, why can't they just go ahead and eat it? We know it's not real. Listen to what the Bible says. The man who has doubts misgivings, and uneasy conscience about eating something offered to an idol and then eats it, perhaps because of your example, stands condemned before God because he is not true to his convictions and he does not act from faith. Here's the principle. For whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. If you can't do it with a clear conscience, friend, don't do it at all. Because if you violate your conscience, you have sinned. Simple enough. And what he's telling us is, if your liberty causes another man to sin, it's not to the glory of God. So, I don't like that. That means that i got to cut some of my lifestyle short for somebody else. Yep. Yep, that's exactly what he's saying. That's the law of love. You can live, you can live your lifestyle and what you can get by with, what is permissible, what you can scoot as close to the edge as you can, but you're not living to the glory of God. You live to the glory of God when you say to yourself, you put it through the sifter. Does this edify? Does this cause someone else to stumble? Paul says you must be careful that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? Hey, there's brother so-and-so in the temple eating what's been offered to an idol. I guess I can do it too. And they go in there and they eat and their conscience becomes defiled. 
if your liberty causes another man to sin, it's not to the glory of God. Now, hang on to the edge of your seat. I'm going to meddle a minute. Say, oh, it's time to go. Alice, let's go. No, stay seated. But I'm about to meddle a little bit. And you got to know, if I'm going to meddle with you, I done got meddled with before I got up here and said this because I had to study this. So stay with me. He's about to meddle. But that's all right. The Bible does not teach, for instance, that to have a drink of alcohol is wrong. It doesn't say that. It's, it's in that permissible legal arena. The Bible does not say you can't have a drink of alcohol. Drunkenness is where the Bible draws the line. Did you know that? So it's permissible, and, and I can't teach otherwise because it's not there. It's permissible to have a drink of alcohol. But let's move up to the glory of God for a minute. What if, because I have the liberty, I go to a restaurant, order alcohol, and a brother or sister struggling with alcoholism comes in and sees me? And there's brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so having a drink of alcohol, and this person struggling with it sees you. It's the same as these people that went into the temple and ate something sacrificed to an idol who had no problem with it, because they knew the idol was dead. But if a weaker brother or sister saw them in there and went in there after them and did what they did because they were doing it, it defiled their conscience. So they see you, and that drink sends the message, it's okay for you to drink, because I do, and I love the Lord. I saw you in church last Sunday. Hallelujah. Have a Sit down. What do you want? The weaker brother principle says, I won't do it if it's going to make you stumble. I will not do it if it's going to make you stumble. Now, in our church, we have several people, many people, fighting alcoholism. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Now, you can, take, you can chew the meat and spit out the bones. You can go out of here and say, well, he got legalistic on us. I'm not getting legalistic on you. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of counsel. You can take it or leave it. But I tell you, um, I don't drink. I don't touch a drop of anything at any time, in any way, in any circumstance. There was a time where I saw people, and I've seen a lot of preachers. I've seen, well, not a lot. I've seen several preachers and Christians drinking very casually. And there was a time in my life where I thought, well, maybe that's not such a bad idea. And to get rid of some personal pain... I self-medicated with it. And I'm going to tell you, it's the most regrettable time period in my entire life. And I would give a year off my life if I could go back and undo it. But I can't. But one day I woke up and I realized something. I had not made one good decision during that season. Because listen to what alcohol will do. It dulls your heart. It stings your conscience. It lowers your ability to make good judgment. And the Bible says to you and to me, we're to be alert and awake and watchful. Now, God gave me a strong mind, a studious mind. Uh, I, I have to have it because it's of what I do. I've got to have my thoughts. And I, I want a clear mind. So this was years ago, but I woke up and said, that's it. And I laid it down and walked away from it and have no desire for it at all. But I'm going to tell you something. 
you can take it or leave it, but I don't think it's a good testimony. I don't think it's a good testimony. Well, I've got the liberty to do it. You do have the liberty to do it. But the hills have eyes. People are watching. And the bigger question is, why do you want it? Why would you spend 10 to 11 to $12 for a colored drink that it may taste good because they put so much stuff in it that that nasty alcohol taste can't grab a hold of you quite as bad? You're not paying that money except you're looking for a buzz. Or you could order a Diet Coke. Come on, everybody. You could order a Diet Coke. Now, so I don't do it for several reasons. First reason is testimony. Well, not the first one, but one of them, testimony. Second one is I don't need it. I don't need it. Uh, God gave me the Holy Spirit. When I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And I'm telling you, I access my drink every morning. I open up the Word of God, and I drink, and I guzzle, and I drink, and I guzzle, and I drink, and I guzzle. And I don't go out the door until I'm full. And it's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping me alive. And I tell you, you don't have to pay for it. You don't get in trouble for it. You'll never get a DUI over it. And I'm kind of slipping into next week. I hope I don't scare some of you off from next week. But you don't need that buzz. You don't need it. If there's so much pain in your life that you're having a drink, figure out what the pain is and get the pain healed because there's nothing at the end of that bottle but bad decisions and a tragedy. Don't do it. That's free. Now, here's another example of the weaker brother concept and am I my brother's keeper? Mike Adams wrote an article in Town Hall Daily Christian Conservative website. He called it Sunday's Breast. Thought that would get your attention. <laughs> Listen to what he says very seriously. Last Sunday, I took a couple of guests to church. I just met Lisa back in March, but I've known her husband, David, for 15 years. David and I are currently working together to warn people about the dangers of mainstream pornography, to which he had become addicted and almost went to prison for. But last Sunday at church, I was slightly embarrassed in front of my guests. The source of my embarrassment was all the women who came to the service dressed like they had been out at a bar. A lot of these women know that they can meet higher quality men at church than at a bar. At least we like to think so. Amen. We like to think so. I guarantee it depends what pond you're fishing in. If you want a quality man, you're not going to find them at a bar. Hey, hey, baby. They don't remember the one they met last night. But some don't have enough sense to change clothes after making the transition from a bar to a church sanctuary. One of the worst offenders was seated, he goes on to say, one row in front of us. She wasn't like all the other women who were content merely to show their cleavage. She had to wear a dress that was thin enough to leave nothing to the imagination. When women come to church dressed like this, they seldom stop to consider that a recovering sex addict might be in the congregation. And they seldom stop to think that there are married men in the congregation or single men who are struggling with lust issues. 
He closes, the church should be a place where men can come to seek help as they battle these temptations. It's a shame that some of the temptations are following them into the church and pulling up a chair right next to them. Hey, hey, praise the Lord, kumbaya. Are we our brother's keepers? In this context, yes. If the way we dress or the way we live, and drinking is just an example, and the way we dress is an example, but in a day that really is known, as a matter of fact, America is now known as the nation that is addicted to something. We're in a nation of addicts. If you're not addicted to anything but Jesus, you're the exception in our culture. So I believe it behooves us to rise above what is permissible and let's live to the glory of God where we're not a stumbling block to people and they can tell the difference between us and the world. I told Kathy this isn't going to be a jump up and shout me down message. Now, let me give you a thought as I start to close. I can't make a career out of catering to other Christians, and I don't think that's what it's telling me to do. I can't be always, I can't do nothing to sit in a box because of other Christians. That's not what he's saying. I can make it a priority to protect my testimony by not causing others to stumble. So Paul made a decision, and I want to lead us in making this decision today, at least to pray about it. He says, quote, so what, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again. Not ever again. It's more important to me to not make a brother stumble. He said, as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. And here's his reasoning, and I'm going to close with this. Quote, he says, Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up eating what is sacrificed to idols or drinking or dressing inappropriately or whatever it may be? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference, but it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. Now, there's a thought. So if somebody f- struggling with alcohol comes up to me and says, Pastor, d- you know, do you drink? Do you social drink? Do you any of that? You know, no, I don't need it. I don't need it at all. I want to be able to say that so they can't go out and have a snare to their soul. If I cause someone to stumble, I've hurt my Savior. Now that's living to the glory of God. What a standard. What a standard. So can we stand today? Next week I'm going to close this out with does it bind. I'm going to talk to you very honestly about the things that bind us up. Because you know, folks, the Lord doesn't want you bound to anything. I mean, nothing. He wants you free. Now, I'm going to tell you what I told the first service. 
I'm extremely concerned about the United States of America. More than I've ever been in my life. And I was listening last week to a Jewish talk show radio host, not Michael Medved, another one, totally Jewish. And, man, he's talking along, and I've heard him say, uh, uh, you know, talk about how he doesn't accept Christ as the Messiah. I've heard him say these things. But he's a, he's a good mind, and I like listening to him some. I can do that without stumbling. But now, he made a statement that made me want to pull off the side of the road. It, it just shocked me that he said it. But he said, he was talking about the danger our culture is in. Socialism, Marxism, losing our liberties, our Constitution being, in essence, raped. And he said, the only hope for America is a revived Christian church. That's what he said. And I, you know what? Being a student of history, church history, I can tell you that when the church lives to the glory of God, it raises the level of that culture. It raises it. And when a church gets on fire, a whole move of the devil can be overthrown and God rush in again. So that's, that's why I'm sharing these things as we've got to rise above living mediocre, permissible lives and start living for the glory of God. Now I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. Can we pray together? If you can amen this message today and just say, you know, Pastor, I'll pray about what you said. And I want to live for the glory of God. Is it best? Does it edify? Does it bind? And I'm asking God to help me. If you can pray that, let's do it right now. Father, the Spirit of God is calling us upward to come out of mediocre Christianity and really shine and begin to impact this culture with the glory of God. And so, Lord, we're asking you right now, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord, to live by that which edifies. Now, can you just say a prayer to him right now, church? The Lord, help me to edify those around me, my family, my co-workers. If my conversation has been going south, help me to reel it in. If I'm doing some things that are negating my testimony, help me to reel it in and protect my testimony. Help me to be a witness in this generation. In my Take a minute and pray life, now. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. In my life. Lord, be glorified today. And we just lift our hands to him and sing that one more time, make it a prayer.